That was amazing. <clears throat> Thank you all for bringing such class to our church service and playing so beautifully. A lot of work to put something like that together. And uh, we are blessed to have groups that are a part of this church that can do that and to have a venue where you guys can come and do something like that. I'm glad all of that comes together for such a blessing for us. So we got a lot of things going on uh, <clears throat> on the platform today. Of course, we got the brass and all of those things going on. And we still have our gears over there. See the gears, the engage gears. That's a year-long theme, so you're going to see those all year. We're talking about how we're better when we engage, when we're connected with each other. One gear by itself just spins and spins, but you hook it up with the ones around it and great things can be done. So we got those going on. We, we have streamers, you see those things. That's left over from eighth grade graduation here last Tuesday. That was a wonderful night. Uh, I'm a little biased, had a graduate, but uh, it was wonderful nonetheless. <clears throat> it would have been a program, even if, a good program, even if we hadn't. But uh, <clears throat> I just want to say, excuse me, <clears throat> thank you to Fleece and uh, to the good job the, the folks at Forest Lake Education Center do on putting on that graduation event each year, particularly the uh, teachers of eighth grade who work extremely hard and uh, school the students very well to know exactly how to get up and where to go and so forth. So it was a good event, enjoyed it very much. So we've got those, we've got those, and, and then we've got another thing here. It's a frame. Pretty good, huh? Have you noticed any of the frames that have been showing up around the church over the last few weeks? Probably the more OCD of you kept trying to adjust them because a lot of them were intentionally crooked. That was a test. We've actually monitored and figured out who all the OCD people are. <clears throat> so now we know. But no, that's, that's the theme of our summer series, frames. And the idea here is we're going to be talking about different doctrines of the Adventist church. And you can see we got a graphic there for frames for this summer. We're talking about different doctrines of the Adventist church. Now, doctrines are incredibly important because they shape our understanding. They express what we believe and they give us the ability to connect together in common belief. But we can sometimes be in danger when we focus on doctrines because sometimes we might make the mistake to think that the doctrine is the picture. But the doctrine is the frame. The picture is Jesus. And the purpose of doctrine is the same purpose as a beautiful frame, the perfect frame on the perfect painting. The perfect frame makes it clear, brings it out, helps you see it better. That's the role of the doctrines, to teach us to see Jesus better. So we're gonna take time this summer talking about the doctrines, and it might be kinda of interesting for you to uh, check out what we talk about at first and third, which primarily I'll be doing, and then check out whether live or, or later on after the service what Pastor Bernie has said at second because each week we're talking about the same doctrines but we're not doing the same sermon. So you might, uh, might want to see exactly how much we agreed and how much we didn't. But uh, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what he would say on these different ones and even a little curious about what I might say on some of these as we're coming up. But, uh, so look for that going forward. 
Let's see if I can find my notes. Here we go. All right. One other thing I want to call your attention to is uh, you had in your bulletin a little insert that uh, showed the different roles that go on with bringing children's Sabbath school to life every week. Did you see that in your bulletin there? Uh, first thing I want to do is, is thank the church for your participation uh, in filling so many of the important roles for children's Sabbath school for next year. This is a challenge every year as Pastor Barb works uh, to get people involved to be a part of children's Sabbath school leadership so that we can keep our children's Sabbath schools at the highest quality year after year. She invests a lot of effort in it. And I want to thank you all for participating and volunteering and working with so many of the key roles which have been filled. There are a few things left to do. And I want to make a general invitation uh, to any of you here today uh, that would perhaps like to participate in some of these. A lot of the roles that are left over are roles like pianist, uh, greeter, or a storyteller, or a helper. Most of the main leadership roles are already taken care of. But one, for example, the greeter, one of the things Pastor Barb has tried to set up is before the class, the teacher's getting the class in order, doing a lot of things, staying very busy. There's no one to greet the children as they come in. You can be a children's Sabbath school greeter, only takes about 15 minutes. You stand at the door, you say hi to the kids as they come in, you help them feel welcome when they come in. This is the kind of, the kind of thought that Pastor Barb has put into developing these Sabbath schools and the kind of opportunities there are to be involved. So I hope you'll take a look at this uh, and get in touch. It would be nice if we could have that kind of a quality experience for all the kids in all the different classes. Uh, and if you're able to be involved in that, I hope you will be. All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this Sabbath day, for the presence of your spirit, for the chance to open your word today. Lord, speak to us by that Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to spend a little time in Luke chapter 12. We're just going to be in Luke 12. We're not going to go anywhere else. But I want to read you some words that Jesus said. And I'll tell you right up front my purpose in this. I want you to be encouraged. When you leave today, I want you to feel encouraged in your faith and in your life. But not because of anything I say, but because of what Jesus said. So let's go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. Why is it when a whole bunch of us get together, the first thing we start doing is trampling on each other? Anyway, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The very first thing he says to them is, okay, I want you to watch out because there's a lot of people out there, Pharisees out there, who are going to pass themselves off as being extremely religious and extremely port important. But the truth you need to know is it is hypocrisy. It's an act. What's going on underneath does not match what's going on on the outside. Watch out for that. 
Watch out for them and watch out that you don't become like them. Why? Well, Jesus goes on and explains. Verse 2. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Don't be a spiritual faker, because one day you'll be exposed. Be real. If you're going to pretend to believe, go ahead and believe. Don't be a faker. But you know, it's not just in our religious realm, in the religious world, that we encounter fakers, that we encounter deceivers. I don't know if you heard the news this week, but uh, several banks this week were fined a rather significant sum for being involved long-term in currency trade rate manipulations. Did you hear anything about this? There are some banks out there that were doing some things on a, on a daily basis to kind of make sure they, they kept certain currency trade rates in a certain zone that would benefit them financially, and it finally got uncovered. You know, it's one of those things, you, you always suspect that kind of thing's going on, right? The world's a big conspiracy, and it's all against me. It's easy to get caught there, isn't it? Because so often it's true. Yeah. Or we've got, you know, the long and and twisted tale of, of which emails were on the right government uh, computer and which one was on the private server and what it has to do with Benghazi and all of these things. And you just, you just wonder, what don't I know that's really going on? And things like whatever became of Malaysia Airlines Flight 370. So many secrets. So many mysteries, so much that we just don't know. And, and if we live in that, we're going to live a stressed, fearful, worried life. But Jesus says to us, don't worry about that. One day I will make all truth known. The things whispered in the back room that you never heard, one day they'll be said. The things said in the dark corner, one day it will all be exposed. Be on your guard for the manipulators because they will try to use information and access to control you. Be on your guard, be wise, but don't fear these things. And don't fear the people behind them because the verse goes on in verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, don't get this wrong. This is not a statement that we ought to be afraid of God. Rather, it's a statement that says, why are you wasting your time fearing anything that is less than God? Now, it might terrify us a little bit to think someone could kill us. But we need to understand the bigger picture here. You see, our lives tend to get caught up in the narrowness of the now and in the shortness of the span of our lives. But God is approaching all of his creation with an eternal view. 
And as his people, it is our privilege to also approach our lives with that eternal view. And in that context, God is saying to us, don't be afraid of those who can kill you but then do no more. Put your trust in the one who can bring you back to life forever. He goes on to make the point in verse 6, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Sometimes in this world of, of powerful controlling entities that we can't do anything about, it's easy to feel about as worthless as a little sparrow, right? God's got his eye on you. The hairs of your head are numbered and you are worth so much to him that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. So what are the implications? God's got you. Regardless of what humans do. And God's got this whole world thing regardless of the mess we try to make of it. It's all going to work out in the end. We must just keep hanging on. Don't be afraid of humans when you have God on your side, even if they can kill the body, because that is all they can do. Don't fear them, and don't let them intimidate you out of acknowledging the God who loves you and saves you. Jesus goes on in verse 8, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. All right, let's unpack this. What he's saying here is stay true to your faith. Even if you face persecution, even if you face those who would seek to make you feel stupid for it, don't turn away from it. Hang on to that faith. Continue to acknowledge your faith in God, even in the face of those who might make fun of you, or even in the face of those who might seek to take your life. Because God gives eternal life. And he goes on and says, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. That's always been kind of a strange thing to me, and I've, I've wrestled with what, what exactly is this blasphemy against the Spirit? And here's what I've concluded. The Holy Spirit is the means by which God is able to speak to my heart. It is through the moving of the Holy Spirit that I receive conviction in my heart to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is through the moving of the Spirit that I become aware of my need of repentance and confession of sin. It is through the Holy Spirit that I am empowered to live a victorious life. 
And if I shut myself off from the Holy Spirit, what means does God have left to reach me? You see, another human can come and tell me something, but if I'm not convicted of it in my heart by the Spirit, it does not change me. And this is why we must be oh so careful at blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, I think it means this. It means to deny what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. How do we do it? Well, there's a number of ways. One of the ways we do it is called secularism. You ever heard of that? This notion that I can have a part of my life over here that God has nothing to do with, and then I can have another part of my life over here that's all about church and all of that stuff. Okay, no. God is in all of it. And to deny him any piece of it is to run the risk of shutting out his Holy Spirit. There's another way we do it. This demanding that God, everything he does, be provable by our scientific means. This is one of the ways we shut out the Holy Spirit. This insistence that everything have a rational explanation. All of these can be a means of denial of the Holy Spirit. Now let me tell you, let me let you in on something. These things are a challenge for me. I am prone to secularism. I'm really good at dividing my life into pieces. I made this mistake just the other day. I have the reality that's going on at home piece and the reality that's going on at the church piece. And on the same Tuesday, I made afternoon plans for REL and that's the same day we have staff meeting. But I never saw a conflict because one was at home and the other was at the church. It just turned out they happened at the same time, that's all. If we compartmentalize our faith this way, we will completely attempt to shut God out of certain parts of it. I have this problem. I also have the whole scientific proof thing problem because maybe you remember my degree before I went to seminary was chemical engineering. I like very much for everything to have a rational explanation. And I like to spend a great deal of time trying to figure out the rational explanation for everything that happens. But when I insist on all the workings of God satisfying my rational process, then I am denying the Holy Spirit's power. I can give you an example of this kind of thing today. It happened just a little while ago while we were up there in the baptistry. Just a few minutes before it was time to go. For reasons I can't explain. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon us back there. And Sierra, being far more sensitive to the Spirit than I, began weeping. I've baptized lots of people. I can't think of any that were weeping right before. But eventually the Spirit even got to me and almost broke me down as well. That was totally irrational. I don't know why we did that. Except to say that the Spirit of God was present. 
in a way that overwhelmed us emotionally in the moment. Now, if I wall myself off from that spirit, then I can't have that powerful experience of God. God was very gracious to me because he knew I was going to struggle with this. So he very wisely brought into my life someone who walks continuously with the awareness of God and the Spirit, and that's my lovely wife, Alicia. I spent probably 10 years or so attempting to rationally explain everything that somehow God was either telling her or showing her or leading her to or suggesting I do that later turned out I really should have. But I finally learned God has ways of working that defy my ability to rationally explain. And I would be wise to listen more often. And she's taught me to do that. Do not forget that believing in Jesus will always demand faith. The Christian faith is built on a single proposition. Or at least that's how it works for me because I'm rational. And that is the confession of Peter who when Jesus says to him, who do you say I am, says... You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. After which Jesus says, Blessed are you, Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And upon this confession, I will build my church. Okay, couple important points here. We've talked about them before. You can tell me Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But you can't convince me of that because you can't show me proof that he's God's son, can you? That defies our scientific capacity to prove, doesn't it? So if I'm going to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, it's going to take faith, isn't it? I'm going to have to step outside of what I can prove to believe. It is the Holy Spirit that enables us to take that step with confidence. Because the Spirit says, there are things you can know that you can't explain. Belief will always demand faith. And anyone with faith can do the unbelievable, experience the inexplicable, and participate in the miraculous. Luke 12, verse 11. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So that one's for you, Sierra, for next year. When you're led before the howling masses of Forest Lake Academy students, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. But don't suppose the Spirit's going to be there to do that in that day if you've systematically been driving him away every day of your life. 
So we've created a context. Now Jesus gets down to priorities. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to, <clears throat> to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, <clears throat> Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. What does this parable say to you? Have you ever seen this kind of thing happen in someone's life? They work themselves to death, supposedly laying away for that day when they'll finally have everything they need. They live a miserable, frantic life and get to the end of it and, and they're gone. You know, he makes an interesting statement early on here. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. There are a lot of different kinds of greed. It all starts from the man who asked the question, who in the midst of this discussion of deep spiritual things says, hey, you look like a judge. Make him give me my share. Now, this is not to say that Jesus isn't concerned about justice and issues of, of fairness. But it is to say it comes second after something else. You see, what's going on here is, is here is this man who wants Jesus to make sure he gets what he wants. And it seems that in this scenario, you've got one brother who's greedy hanging on and another brother who's greedy trying to get his part. And Jesus says, if you guys would just get over your greed, you could solve this with no problem at all. These kinds of worries about compiling and building up possessions and having everything I need, they lead to a stressful life. Do you constantly stress about life? Jesus has a word for you. Luke 12, verse 22 then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? We have not yet proven that you can add hours to your life by worrying, but I think we have proven you can cut hours from your life by worrying. So I guess that's not a good strategy, is it? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. 
They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? I don't know if you noticed, but the field over here next to the church, in the early part of the springtime, when you, when you come into the church and you drive in, just as everything's greening up, there's a span of time where there are some beautiful flowers that just come up over there. Have you noticed those? Well, several weeks ago and for quite a while, quite a span, beautiful flowers that come up over there. And they're lovely for, for a month, a month and a half. The field got mowed this last week. But that's all right. The flowers will be back next year. These are lessons to us. Verse 29. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. You see, here's how it works. When we focus ourselves on God and on his kingdom, he teaches us and tells us what other things we need to do. And it is by following his leading that his provision comes. I don't say these things to chastise anyone. Rather, I say them to encourage you that you might live your life free from fear. On what basis? Well, verse 32, and this is really the verse I want you to take home. Luke 12, 32, Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. How many of you have been working hard all your life to get the kingdom? What a waste. The Father wants to give it to you. Oh no, I can't have it yet. Haven't done enough. Please, the kingdom. The Father wants to give us the kingdom. Jesus came to die for our sins so that we might be saved. God wants to save us. God wants to bless us. God wants us to live in peace without fear. The Father is pleased to save us and give us the kingdom. So, so let him. Don't let the world get in your way. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. If the things you have are standing between you and being able to receive the kingdom from God, get rid of them. You don't want those. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Is that encouraging? To know that the Father longs to give you the kingdom. 
It encourages me. It makes me glad and it makes me hopeful to recognize that it's not me trying so hard to get God to give me the kingdom, to get God to give salvation, but it's God who desperately wants to give these things. If it pleases God to save you and give you the kingdom, why would you let anything in this world keep him from being able to do so? Receive the kingdom from God. Live in joy. Have no fear. Be encouraged. Let's pray. Father in heaven, show us how to receive the kingdom. It sounds really good to us, but our vision is short. Our life is short. And we are weak. But you gave us a glimpse today as we watched another person baptized into your kingdom. Help us recall it. Help us receive the kingdom you long to give us. In Jesus' name, amen.